Hello, and welcome to the second-to-last episode of BASE, best audition season ever. Remember that? Remember when audition season was a thing? Yeah, me either. So obviously, I recorded this episode with Angelica Ritchie a few weeks ago before pretty much the whole world turned upside down. And I definitely questioned whether or not to still post it because I wondered whether or not it was still relevant. However, Angelica's brilliant ideas that she shares in this episode are definitely completely relevant and I think extra important to be considering right now at a time where a lot of us are having to reevaluate what it is that we offer to the world. Thinking of what you offer as a product rather than a service, it's interesting to listen back to this episode now and to have kind of a different perspective on why it's so important to offer a service rather than a product. So I hope that you will find this episode interesting and inspiring, and I think the challenge still stands if you feel prepared to take her up on her challenge. So here's Angelica Ritchie's episode of BASE. So, Angelica Ritchie, what are you reading right now? Oh my gosh, nothing ever. <laughs> you don't read? Well, I am, I'm sure you can read, but... <laughs> I, I do know how to read. I am not a big reader. That I, surprises me about you. I'm a massive podcaster, Uh huh. and I went through a really big reading phase right when I got out of college, where I think I was sort of trying to assert my intelligence in an industry that gets looked down on. Yes. But I have been meaning to read, and I am a chapter in to Waking Up White, which is a personal discovery of white privilege. Wow. um, And really meant to commit to reading it before I did any more work inside the prison system, and have not finished it. So wow, that, that is that surprises me very much. But I do know that you're an avid podcast listener, and I guess it surprises me because you're such a phenomenal writer that I assume every writer reads. But I'm sure the good ones do. <laughs> <laughs> and I am just a a foe. No, you're a wonderful, amazing, delightful writer. Could you give us like a one minute Reader's Digest version of the things that you do? Sure. So I am an actor and a singer and a dancer, kind of per usual. Um, (laughs) And in terms of the other work that fills in my experience, uh, some of it has been writing throughout my time since I left UCLA. Um, I wrote for ESPN for a couple of years, um, freelance, and was able to do that remotely on tour. I also have worked in every kind of food service job in the world. Mm -hmm. We do what we have to. (laughs) I've also, for the last two years, been working uh, with a prison arts organization called Shining Light that teaches many disciplines. I've taught theater and dance in men's maximum security prisons, done that for over 250 hours in the last two years. Wow. And I also have a parallel career that works with businesses using the Myers-Briggs type indicator to help teams understand themselves and each other. And as an affiliate with my parents' consulting practice, I'm in the room very frequently taking notes and synthesizing information for executive teams that are wrestling with questions like, what do we do? Who are we here to serve? What are our strategic anchors? How do we execute the things that we plan to from an organizational standpoint? Right. I think that sounds so cool. Like, what an amazing list of things that you do. And fulfilling from so many different angles. I think that's just so awesome. But the reason that you're here today is because of a piece that you wrote called The Product Fallacy. I'm, of course, going to link it in the show notes. 
definitely give it a read if you haven't already, but you may already have because it kind of broke the internet and was <laughs> at least all over my Facebook feed. Everybody I knew was sharing it. And it was such a brilliant concept that I immediately thought that there was definitely some synergy with what we're trying to do with BASE. So could you give us a summary about the product fallacy? Sure. Sort of my proposal is that actors spend a lot of time being told that they are a product, they are their product. You know, we focus on what you're delivering as a product for casting directors or for directors. And I find myself irritated with that terminology because it sort of assumes that there's one thing people pay for and it's products. And that Mm -hmm. is not true. The majority of industry is broken into two categories, products and services. And my proposal is that actors are resistant to digging into how they can be their best product because they are in fact not products. They are a service provider. Yes. I love this idea so much. And, you know, now hearing about all of the things that you do, it makes so much sense why this would occur to you because you do work with businesses so much and being able to kind of step back and say products are not all that's offered. And that's always felt a little icky. It's never Mm -hmm. quite felt right. There is another option. We can think of ourselves as a service. And a lot of actors will say like, oh, I just want to be of service. But then they call what they do a product. So those things are, you know, diametrically opposed and it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so in case anyone is listening to this and is thinking to themselves, well, I don't actually mind thinking of what I do as a product. What's so wrong with products? There is nothing wrong with products. Products have an important place in all businesses. They have an important place in the entertainment industry. I think that certainly, no matter how you consider yourself, we work toward a product. Yeah. The show you're working on gets frozen, and then you deliver that product. Right. The show is totally a product. You may or may not be. If you're thinking of what you bring into the room on any given day as an actor as a product, I think that can be useful. It can be super marketable, super employable. There are a lot of places that are looking for the exact product they need. If you think of a long-running Broadway show and a track that comes up for replacement, yeah, there is mostly a set static list of things that need to be filled by the person who's going to do that job. Mm-hmm. That I think probably do feel more like a product. And that's not to say there's no acting in it. Right. Of course, that actor's job is to find authentic connections to the material and to make it fresh every night. Doesn't mean you're not doing that. But when I think of what being a product means in other business terms, it's pretty static. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty immutable in terms of what you're getting. And when you commit to delivering that, there's not a bunch of wiggle room. Those things tend to have expiration dates and they tend to not adapt to a variety of circumstances. So for a given contract, I think bringing in the product you know they need can be a great way to get that job. But my fear is that actors have a long-term conception of themselves that is more product-minded, that does not contribute to their adaptation and survival as actors. Yes. Two thoughts about this. One, I mean, I think, especially with the example you gave of being a replacement in a long-running show and having the product be static, I think that often contributes to burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's kind of a tale as old as time that people get in a long-running Broadway show and start to feel perhaps a bit creatively unfulfilled and get a little sick of what they're doing and, you know, start to feel like it's just a job. Mm -hmm. And I also think that what you said about expiration dates really resonates with me because... 
you know, an example being if, and this is something that you and I have talked about, if you identify as an ingenue and that's the product that you offer, well, guess what? You're not going to be an ingenue forever. And then when that product expires, what are you left with? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are things about that, you know, hypothetical individual that really don't require that much mental energy. Like usually that's a young woman who is beautiful. Right. And you are beautiful. Congratulations. Like, <laughs> I think it's so silly when beautiful women get on stage and play beautiful. Right. Like, you totally have space to play something else. Right. Your beauty is not going to change because you activate on some verb or, you know, desire that is an unattractive quality. Right. So I think that it's really essential that people ask themselves, if I'm being fed the information that I'm a product, mm -hmm. does that resonate as true? Is that a valuable place for my energy? And if it is today, is that sustainable through a career that will see many transitions inevitably? Because you as a person will change and our business will change. We know that for sure. Yes. Oh, that's so true. The industry will change. And that's something that is not static. So if we're offering something static, then eventually they're not going to want it anymore. That happens with products all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is not meant to be an indictment of anyone who speaks confidently or with any sense of authority. God knows I don't have an MBA. I just <laughs> have a few touchstones in other industries. I think that it's easy to have done a certain amount of work and feel like you really understand the world you're working in and you might have a great understanding of what theater is and what it's like. However, we use words that mean a lot of different things in a lot of different places. Yeah. Even a phrase like a big hit means mm -hmm. something on Broadway and it means something else on a football field. Yeah. So acknowledging that words have meaning whether or not we imbue them with that. Right. And that you might be leading people down a path with some errancy because you don't fully understand the implications of this word. Right. Which is sort of, I don't mean to be unkind, but... You know, throwing around a word like product yeah. can feel good and feel smart, but products are bought and sold, services are hired. And yes. I think that we have to follow to an inevitable conclusion what it means if we're calling actors products. Mm. I think it's important to acknowledge who is typically buying these products, who has hiring power and firing power. Yeah. And if you are comfortable saying that actors, which includes people of color and women, are mm -hmm. products and that they're things that are bought and sold, right. I think you need to ask if that's a power dynamic you're comfortable operating within, right. or if you would prefer to give a personified value to actors, call them a service provider, and then allow them to do their work regardless of you know, where these big societal power structures lie. I think it's a much more humanized way to follows to the inevitable conclusion of whether or not actors are services or products. Yeah. And I love what you just said about, you know, hire the actors for their service and allow them to do their work. I think that within that, there is a level to which if you as an actor are choosing to think of what you have to offer as a service, you have to be prepared to make good on that. Mm -hmm. And you have to be prepared to do the work. Whereas if you are a product, if you're what you're offering is a product, then, you know, once it's purchased, it already is what it is. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? There's a certain level of 
fulfillment that's required Mm -hmm. to be a service provider. Yeah, I think the expectation when someone's providing a service is that it's highly adaptable to the needs of the client. Yes. And so that even includes filling knowledge gaps, right? If you hired someone to do your taxes and they Uh weren't familiar with artist taxes in particular, you would expect that they would fill that knowledge gap on their own because it's part of their responsibility as the person who is taking you on as their client. Right. And if you think of it approaching a show or material, I know that there have been times that I've sort of felt out of my depth mm-hmm. and been like, well, that's just not what I do, as if what I do is one thing forever. Right. Which, you know, this week it might be. Right. But there is a longer term adaptability mindset that you can have if what you're doing is providing a service and you're responsible for, like you said, making good on the thing you agreed to do because you are capable of intelligent learning and modification based on the specific needs. So I guess what this is making me think about is once you're cast in a show, what would be the difference in a rehearsal room in the work of an actor who identifies as a product and an actor who identifies as a service? I think the first thing that is essential is that the director and the actor are on the same page yeah. <laughs> about what it is we're doing here. I think, you know, from a director's standpoint, if you're working with an actor who identifies as a product, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of things you could ask for that are not going to be attempted with the same kind of wholeheartedness Mm. that someone who thinks they're there to serve the story, serve the script, serve the vision of the director. So I think it is an asset to a director to have an actor who thinks that way. And I think for an actor, if they have a director who sees them as a product, the opportunity for disposal is pretty high. Yes. (laughs) Because if there was any disagreement about what it is you were bringing to the table and the director really feels like, I bought you because you tumble, I bought you because you have a high C, and for any reason, those things change, even great reasons like injury, right? That's totally valid. I think that a director who has a more service-minded approach would say, well, I hired this individual as a whole person because of what they bring to the table emotionally and intellectually and professionally in their demeanor when we work together. And so they still have something valuable to contribute, even if it's not this single facet that I thought was the thing that we were coming to the table with. Yeah. Products are far more replaceable. Mm -hmm. I mean, this immediately makes me think of Seth Godin's book, Lynchpin, and the whole concept behind being a linchpin is being indispensable. And a question that I've had to reflect on a lot in the past couple years is, is it possible for an actor to be a linchpin? And hearing this kind of framework of product versus service is the first time that I'm like, yeah, if the actor is a service provider, then they can be indispensable. But oftentimes this industry creates the actor's position in such a way that they are dispensable because they want to be able to replace them at any time. Mm -hmm. So how would you say that this framework applies to the audition process? I think the biggest thing for me is, right, if you are looking to be hired because you provide a service to the script, to the story, to the character, it's essential to ask yourself if you are one, doing that in the room, Mm -hmm. and two, communicating that in all of the areas you have control over. So that's a big ask for myself even to say, am I just coming in, hitting the comedic beats I know I hit every time, 
I know these gestures help me land the jokes. It's what I do every time. Yeah. And that's stale now. And it's really a product on a 16 bar cut. Yeah. Is that what I'm doing? Or am I living in a space that's, you know, structured and successful, but also spontaneous in a way that feels alive any given day? That is one aspect. And then another is to ask, what are the things that you do that potentially dehumanize you? Mm-hmm. That's really the biggest danger for me in moving from a service to a product is that there's less humanity and less of yourself as an interesting, compelling person with inherent value because of your intelligence and emotional capacity. Yeah. So one of the ways that I dehumanize myself and make it feel like I'm less of that capable service provider is jogging to a piano. Yes, <laughs> running out of the room. <laughs> what a dismissal of myself. Yeah. And another for me has been overvaluing my physical appearance. Yes, oh my gosh, yes. That feels like a very plasticky product approach. Oh, it's a total product approach, yes. I mean, something on a shelf has to look good to catch mm-hmm. your attention. And it, that's a heartbreaking way to think about it, to think about our human selves. Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't want to you know, pretend that I'm ignorant to the fact that the other side of the table might experience all of this a different way. Mm-hmm. But we have to be responsible for our own well-being and our own longevity. And I think that that mentality of who am I, not what am I, mm-hmm. is a way to take ownership over where you're going. I mean, all of this stuff, look, if you're planning to quit the business, after five years in New York, or when you hit 30, or as soon as you get married, do whatever you want. Right. If this is a short game for you, and you know, once you get a dog, it's too hard in the city, you need a yard, and you're going to Jersey, like, live it up, do right. whatever you want in that scenario. But if your mentality for your career is that you're staying in it, because this is the place you're passionate about, and you feel you belong, then you have to take a longer term approach to what you're saying to yourself about yourself. Absolutely. Well, and I love what you said about what the people on the other side of the table experience may be different than, you know, how we feel about it. But the whole purpose of BASE is to get a handle on what we can control to make audition season, auditioning this industry better. Because I truly believe that change can only come from us and your community and it's a great place to start Mm -hmm. and that we can't wait for other people to change before we start feeling differently about things. So I think that was a great call out and completely in alignment with this. So what would be your challenge for our listeners this week and in the upcoming weeks and in the upcoming years? Because I feel like this is a really big idea and, you know, could definitely take some, some time. I would encourage listeners to find opportunities to humanize themselves Mm -hmm. in the room. And if that means making a choice that has not been directed, but Mm -hmm. you think is the more, I mean, I really feel this strongly as someone who is in dance calls as a woman a lot, Yeah, that there are a lot of objectifying choices that are handed to you Yeah, and to find what the more human version of that might be. Right. Opportunities to personify, humanize yourself. I think, you know, that's going to look different for everyone. It might be the kind of material you choose. It might be the kind of conversation you try to have with the people behind the table. And it might even just be how you choose to present yourself. And also, you know, to not minimize the things that are actual services you offer. Like 
intelligent interpretation of a script. Right. It can feel like the smart choice is the unpopular choice. Yeah. Oh, yes, you it know? can. <laughs> we, we can often, as an industry, lean toward lowest common denominator. Oh, yes. So I think taking stock of what it is you're offering and challenging yourself to elevate the things out of static product land and more toward service land. Yeah. That's, I think that's the biggest one. And then I also, I, I mentioned in this article that service providers include people like doctors who mm-hmm. provide medical services and lawyers who provide legal services. And we refer to what they do as medical practices and legal yes. practices. When you're a service provider, you have a practice. And for an actor, that's probably going to be living truthfully into fictional circumstances, yeah. realizing a character, interpreting a script. And I would also challenge people to actively practice those things, mm-hmm. which is going to be hard to do if you've been singing the same 16 bars since your freshman year of high school or college. Yes. So asking how do I enhance the service I offer in an active way, and then also how do I have grace for myself as someone who is practicing these things imperfectly today and imperfectly forever, Yeah. but with an upper trajectory because that's the commitment you can make to yourself. Absolutely. And just as a bonus, in case there's anyone listening who's thinking, okay, okay, you've convinced me. (laughs) I don't want to think of myself as a product anymore. I want to think of what I offer as a service, but I don't know what that is. What would you offer them as a way to start getting to the core of what that might be for them? So one habit I try to encourage myself to hear when I do is the defensive actor monologue. Okay. When someone from high school, someone from your hometown and extended family members like, oh, so you like do theater games yeah. <laughs> or like, oh, so it's like professional dress up and, and not when you like <laughs> dismiss yourself to go cry, right. but in the moments that you're like, that is not at all what being a professional actor is. You don't right. understand it. And you find yourself going on a tirade uh-huh. of this is what it means to be an actor. What I do is... All the things that follow that in the heat of the moment, like, I am able to deliver an emotionally compelling performance eight times a week. I take flat words on a page and breathe life into them. I find a strategic arc for a character so that all the needs of the playwright are met and the emotional life is real moment to moment. All those things that you like get indignant about, write those down and then ask, is this what I'm doing? Can this be what I'm doing? How do I grow into these? And then also just the actors who we look up to. And for me, that's Mm -hmm. not been someone I've seen on a Broadway stage once. Typically, it's actors I've worked with who I've seen their rehearsal process. I've seen their, you know, multiple month run of a show. Right. And just admired what it is they're doing on stage and off stage. I think that that is an incredible place to learn from. And if you don't have those people in your life or in your professional contacts yet, Ask your friends, what have you found most inspiring with the more seasoned actors you've worked with who have had longevity, who are hired because of what they can bring to their idea of a character? I feel like those are two really great starting points and good journaling prompts. You know, the first one being, okay, someone just said to you, oh, you're an actor, so you do like professional dress up. What's your response? Go. Uh, The second being, who are the actors that I most admire for the way that they carry themselves on and off stage? What qualities do they have in common? 
I think those are really tangible places to start. And fun. (laughs) And super fun. (laughs) Are they fun? You tell us. Yeah, that's true. I suppose if you hate it, let us know. But if you hate it, maybe you're just asking yourself the difficult questions, you know? There might be some truths there. It's an uncomfortable thing. (laughs) It can be. Angelica, thank you so much for doing this. I, as I said, I'm going to link the link to the product fallacy article in the show notes. That should actually be the first thing that everyone goes and does is read this article because it's truly phenomenal. Thank you, Lily. I know that this is a big challenge and I know that a lot of people are feeling really overwhelmed right now. And that's okay. Take the time that you need to mourn and grieve and get yourself to a place where you can accept the current reality. And I think a great way to start to really come to terms with what's happening and what our future might look like on the other side of this is by taking a serious look at what you do and what you have to offer and how it might be applicable in more ways than you thought. And I think that's the exact line of thinking that Angelica is approaching this whole concept with. So I hope that you will take her up on her challenge and that while audition season may not look the way that we thought it was going to, that you will consider utilizing this time in a way that will make the future the brightest that it can be. 